Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You know, Gary, the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew is probably one of the most quoted and most sermonized of all the Bible. We've been in churches and we've heard sermons on uh, uh, Matthew chapter five many, many times. I'm sure you've done your share of them, too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Matthew chapter five uh, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, Mm -hmm. so very popular. And it begins with the well-known Beatitudes. And it also includes um, that popular, you're the light of the world, a city that sits on a hill cannot be hidden. These are things that most of us know and are very familiar with. Mm -hmm. And um, many a sermon has been written about Jesus's warning that if someone has lust in his heart, it's as if he's committed adultery. So we've heard sermons on that too. There's a lot of topics here. (laughs) A lot of good stuff in there, right? But you know, Matthew 5.17, it's Matthew 5.17 that you and I probably quote more than we do almost any other Bible verse as we're teaching believers about the primacy, the importance of the Torah in our lives. It is the foundational verse for those of us who teach Torah. Gary, could you share that with us? Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You know, we've spent a good portion of our adult lives trying to convince Christians that Jesus meant what he said, right? (laughs) (laughs) It seems so clear, Kathy. (laughs) But but apparently, not so much. So for some reason, the institutionalized church, and thus many, many Christian believers, twist themselves into pretzels, trying to explain that Jesus was basically saying, I've not come to abolish the law but to abolish it for everyone who believes in me. Wow, oh, that's so sad. <laughs> you know, so thus supporting their strongly held belief that Torah observance is no longer necessary or desirable. In fact, it's even sinful for a New Testament Christian to be Torah observant because surely we're only being obedient because we're trying to earn our way into heaven. Mm. Don't you wish you had a nickel for every time you've heard that? I think I'd be a rich man. (laughs) I think we both would be rich. That's right. You know, although we talk about this all the time, we wanted to devote an entire podcast, or maybe two, uh, to the question, did Jesus come to abolish the Torah? And to the question, what did Jesus mean when he said, I have come to fulfill it? After this break, let's talk Torah. Long ago. God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind and the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, Read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. 
In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. So Gary, if I were to ask you, who would know the will of our Father in Heaven better than anyone else, who would that be? Is this a trick question? <laughs> no, I, we laugh, but, you know, obviously... We'll tell them why we laugh, too. Why, well, why okay, do we laugh? all right. <laughs> because, yeah, we, we used to joke about the uh, the youth group at the uh, at the congregation where I pastored because they would a- be asked a question, and they figured they had a pretty good shot if they just answered it questioning, Jesus? <laughs> And they would have it right. And then most times they'd have it right. right. Yeah, so in this case, we'll answer it affirmatively, Yeshua. Yeshua, Yeshua. that's right. Yes. <laughs> Had the greatest uh, understanding of what it meant to live the Torah. And, you know, and yet, even though I think most people would agree with that, okay, mm-hmm. when it comes to the topic of keeping the Torah, most Christians run to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I, amazingly enough. And here's the guy who's uh, enigmatic. I mean, he's very worried, yes. very wordy. And and I think that's the part of the, the, the actual appeal to it is that uh, there's, it's easier to misinterpret Paul than it is Yeshua. To manipulate he, Paul, yeah, right? You, you can manipulate Paul it. to kind of support what you already are thinking. Whereas Yeshua was so cut and dry, very clear. And uh, so, yeah, you run to the one who, who, who can support, you think, can support your uh, position. And, and it almost becomes like the gospel of Paul. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of that in the Christian church, mm-hmm. that when we can clearly say, you know, Yeshua said this, but, but you know. yeah. and I and I always ask the question: Well, would Yeshua have contradicted anything that his father would have said or taught? And most people say no. And I said, well, then why do you think Paul would have? If Paul was a disciple of Yeshua, and he was, he is, then why would he contradict anything that the father taught or Yeshua taught? And yet we still have this argument. And and why would we? Why would we want? An apostle to contradict what the what well, the, you, the teacher, the rabbi taught, or, which you goes know. right to the heart of the matter. Is why most Jewish people would say, "Forget it. You guys are teaching a a, a Messiah who who's um for, got you know done away with the law. That's right. The Torah. That's right. And 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 they and they point to they might point to Paul. But obviously, it goes back to the Messiah. No, exactly. And, and so he can't be our Messiah. Exactly. That's what he taught. You know, and you know, and Peter even warned us that Paul's words, not Yeshua's words, but Paul's words could be distorted, and mm-hmm. that's because I guess because of this education that he had and his wordiness and his his intense enthusiasm, you know, I, I, together I'd see Paul and, and Jesus as very different personalities, right? Probably so. <laughs> you know, and, and Paul's got lots of words and Jesus is probably just a man of few words, but yeah. the words he says, you really need yeah. to pay attention yeah. when to. When he spoke, you listen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You yeah. know, second Peter, uh, uh, Peter talks about in second Peter three sixteen. he says, 
his letters, he's talking about Paul. So this is the letters that are circulating at the time, which many of them became our New Testament, okay, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant or untaught and unstable people distort. Mm -hmm. And they do as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, was well, he right. He was tougher. I mean, we don't read of um, anybody falling asleep during Yeshua's sermons, but we do re- read about Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean no re- disrespect for, for Shaul or Paul. No, absolutely. But, but he was very wordy. Uh, but, you know, Kathy, before we, before we dive into all of this, maybe I just would love to clarify in the Aramaic, the original language, the, the, the street language, so to speak. And again, let me clarify this for our audience. Aramaic is not a different language than the Hebrew. Uh, it's not, you know, something, it sounds like Arabic maybe to some, but no, Aramaic is just a cultural difference. It's, it would be like someone who sp- spoke Spanish in Spain moving to Mexico, finding they still speak Spanish, but there were cultural differences. And that's what the Aramaic is. And so uh, in that language, when we read uh, Matthew and we look at this, you know, I did not come to change, that word for change there is deshre, and it means to let go, send away, or dismiss. In other words, he's saying, I did not come to let go, change, or dismiss. And it's a term that's used um, loosely. Someone from the loosing someone from their vows of marriage. Oh my goodness! Think about that for oh a moment. Oh my goodness! You know, you, you know how, and I know you've you've we've talked about this many times. How the church was born in divorce of its Hebraic root. Well, that word there is used when it comes to talk about breaking commandments or breaking your marriage vows. Whoa! So there you go. And so then we look at the Aramaic for fulfilling. Uh, the word fulfill, and it's uh, daimelei, and it is, which means to fill or to f- uh, fully apply, to fill, to fill up. In other words, I mean, this, this means Yeshua was going to do this fully, to the, to all, with all of his heart, he was going to fulfill the Torah. Now, about that comment that he makes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, there was an Orthodox rabbi once commented saying, this is a rabbianism, with a rabbi-ism. A, rabbi-ism. <laughs> I'm trying to be clear with that word, <laughs> rabbinism, uh, rabbi-inism, <laughs> with a vengeance, okay? And, and the reason why he said this is because the writings of the rabbis at the time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read four different quotes, okay? And these from quotes... From rabbis at that time. From rabbis at the okay. time, and these can be found in Discovering the Jewish Roots of the Gospel, Matthew, by Dr. Rick Watch. Uh, Dr. Rich Wodge is a good friend of mine. He wrote a beautiful book, and he quotes these rabbis here, and I want to, to, to set the stage for our podcast with these comments. The number one, the law of Moses have endured unchanged since they were written down and will, as we hope, endure for all future time, as long as sun, moon, and whole heaven and universe. Okay, there's one. Number two, no letter of the law shall ever be made void. That's number two. Number three, if all men in the world are gathered together to destroy a yud, which is the smallest letter of the law, they would not succeed. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the fourth one. He that lessens himself for the words of the law in this world, he shall become great in the world to come or in the days of the Messiah. 
Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Wow, that sounds, said, yeah, yes. Those who teach not to do would be the least, and those who teach to do and obey would be the greatest in the kingdom. And it even goes into, I think it was the first or the second one you said, it reminded me of the very next verse after 517, 518 says, I, I truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, right. not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he was completely consistent, consistent with all the rabbis of the time who were Torah observant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it seems that it's so very clear. And like I said, Paul and Yeshua standing next to each other. Paul, I mean, Yeshua is going to be the one I think is going to be the most succinct mm -hmm. and the clearest to understand. And that's why Peter said, okay, Paul's words can be distorted, right. you know, but he didn't say Yeshua's words can be distorted. Mm -hmm. Now they can be ignored. Well, that's true. Or outright rejected. That is true. Right. And so I think that's, that's what you that's have to do mm -hmm. is ignore or reject them. It's not, you can hardly distort that because it's so right. very clear in Matthew 5, 17 and 18 and 19, mm -hmm. you know. But then you end up with uh, what you and I have, uh, have heard multiple times from people. I know what the Bible says, but... That's so scary and sad. Exactly. Yes. But I, it's usually, but I, mm -hmm. I believe, I think, I feel. Right. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. um, and and you and I have both heard that uh, from people. And you're right. That's a very, very dangerous place to be. It is. You know, um, before we address some of the specifics about the distorting of Paul's words, um, I want to look back into history a little bit. We have gone over some of this history before, but I think it's important that we go over it here. It is important to know this church history in order to understand where we've come from and how we've gotten to where we are right now. Yeah. You know, you and I, anybody born here in the 20, 21st century, you know, we can be born and think, oh, Everything's always been like this. Yeah, yeah that's how, when you're growing up, that's what that's you think. That's what you it's think, It's just right? always been thus. <laughs> and, 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 of course, that's not true. You know, as you said earlier, the reality is that the church was born in divorce of its Hebraic roots. And it was, I think, both intentional on some people's parts and, and unintentional, mm -hmm. okay? Um, as the Jesus movement spread out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, you know, the faith movement quickly lost its foundations, um, and men tried to replace these foundations with their man-made traditions and ideas. Exactly. So as it moved out from Jerusalem, it lost some of that, what we would call Jewishness, mm. uh, the, the Hebrew culture that was connected to it, and um, people tried to replace. Now, intentionally, unintentionally, I think both. Both. Yeah. yeah. I think in, maybe initially it was done out of ignorance. You know, your Gentile world was, was still learning. Yes. That was what the whole Jerusalem council was about. Yes. We read it about in the book of Acts. Um, so they had to learn. And so there was a lot of unintentional errors probably made, but then at later, as it became a, a more, uh, a politically expedient, I think that's when it became intentional. Yes. You know, Jerusalem was the home of the faith for those who believed in Yeshua and the seat 
of religious authority Mm -hmm. until 70 AD. Okay. That's when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, The second dispersion, everybody was exiled there. Well, not everybody, but uh, many of the people were exiled. And, and so the faith continued to grow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that exile, I believe was part of God's way of making that happen. Okay. As it went out, but what happened was more and more Gentiles now were entering the faith and that religious authority just gradually transferred to Rome. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was in Jerusalem. That was the seat of, of understanding and the authority early, early on, but that gradually switched over to Rome and the, the transfer, as we've said before, was kind of codified or finalized in 323 with emperor Constantine. Okay. And so he wants to unify his empire and see things that an easy way to do that is declare that we're all Christians. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so we have a, Something we can rally along. Right. We, I don't know if that was me, but well, we, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was there, well, but okay. He definitely used it effectively. Yes. I mean, it, and, you know, use syncretism to bring everybody in and unify the kingdom. And that type of unity is not, necess- is not, not good. What, it's, not, not it's just not, it's godly not godly unity. unity. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So even if you can say, okay, he was trying to do this for the cause of bringing some kind of unity. Um, so what happened later uh, Council of Nicaea in um, AD 325 or CE or however you use those initials, mm. okay? <laughs> um, the 318 bishops attended this council and none were Jewish. Right. Okay, so, you know, right there, this is going to have We've a major a <laughs> imp- impact. And that was very intentional. Obviously. It was very intentional. Uh, so you have the Christian Passover then was transferred to the first Sunday after Passover. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that happened in that council. Um, that was codified. That was the official new Christian Passover, okay, which came to be known as Easter. Um, the name Passover, Pesach, it was eventually replaced by the name Easter. Right. Okay. And, and you know, people should understand where those na- that name came from. You know, it, when we talk about syncretism, we're talking about allowing pagan worship to, to feel comfortable within this new religion. And so Ishtar was mm-hmm. it was a fertility god. And so the, the name Easter uh, was born. Well, we, we know it as Easter, but right. you know, that way this, this festival or this feast day, man-made uh, and, and, and torn apart from Pesach, uh, was born. Exactly. Yeah. And it, you know... And I said, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody now for no. that happening. Okay. Could be some blame back there. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, that's just the history. Right. Okay. And it's so Very important to know history. it. And, you know, Gary, uh, growing up in the church, I never was taught that. No, I was not either. Christians are generally not aware of that, Mm-mm. but a lot of Jewish people are aware of that. Yeah, they yeah. know that. Yeah. that you know? That's why they know. That's why we. They feel many that those who are, are well, quote unquote, religious, uh, feel that this was a religion born at three twenty five and right. not a part of the movement that you know originally was. It started in Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. But none of us were aware of these things uh, no, as kids. No. 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 You know. So. 
Council of Antioch 341, uh, Christians were actually forbidden to celebrate Passover with the Jews, mm. okay? So your forbidden threat of death, probably, you can't do this. All these new Gentiles coming into the faith, they're threatening death to you and your family if you do this, celebrate this new holiday that you've really never celebrated before anyway or not, right. you know, very often. How easy would that be to give it up? Right, yes, yeah, so this is why it was so important to not have Jewish counsel here. Because they, they, this is a tradition in their lives for thousands of years, right. and they knew how important it was. It was God's word. It was His feast, not you know anybody else's feast. They, they were they were keeping their appointed times, their moed. Uh, so, so for a Gentile who never grew up with the, with those traditions, yeah, it was very easy to convince them right. to do it this way. And you know, the same thing happened with the Sabbath. Okay, mm -hmm. so then Christians were forbidden to celebrate to to honor the Sabbath once again. If you had not been doing that for thousands of years. That's a breeze to give sure. up, okay? You've already been celebrating or honoring, let's say, the, the, the honorable day of the sun, mm -hmm. okay, on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And so, sure, I'll just keep doing that. Right. That's really easy now. And then they were saying, okay, but now we're doing this for God, the God yeah. of Israel. Yeah. But that's an e relatively easy switch. And then, of course, if you don't teach your children anything, it's all lost in one generation, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. it's passed down the lie is passed down, you get to where we are thousands of years later, and, and, and we don't know any People different. don't even know the root of it all. That's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, Constantine said we're going to do this in a more convenient way, was right. his words, it was, it was translated. And it, it, that convenience, I think, was for him and for his kingdom. <laughs> we're going to do this in a convenient way. And so, again, like you said, generation after generation passed, it sees it as natural. So we grew up in church seeing, doing things that we had no idea what, what, what the origins of them were. And so I, you know, I see it as ignorance and, and innocence in a sense, yes. but it is incumbent upon us to learn. It's you know, your favorite quote, my people perish mm -hmm. for lack of, of knowledge. knowledge. That's right. We Isaiah 4, 6. To, yeah, we need to understand these things. Right. And now I'm glad we do. And, you know, so you talk about ignorance, but then, okay, there was some deliberateness in this too, even among mm -hmm. the early church fathers. Uh, now, this guy, I, I have a hard time with his name. John Chrysostom? Chrysostom. 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 Okay. It, it's not an easy name to say, okay? Lived from 349 to 407, okay, A.D. or C.E. Okay, so this is what he had to say. The other diseases which my tongue is called to cure is the most, the other disease which my tongue is called to cure is the most difficult. And what is the disease? The festivals of the pitiful and miserable Jews, which are soon approaching. Mm. Oh my goodness. He's talking about Passover, folks. He's talking yeah. about the um, my festivals. When he said God's festivals uh, of Leviticus 23, yeah. I, they're, they're assigned as the Jewish festivals. You know, there's a lot of Bibles now that still say that as a heading, the Jewish, the Jewish festival festivals. of Passover. Yeah. That we need to strike from our conversation that the, that kind of wording, because it was is downright incorrect, right? Yeah, but it creates such a bias, you know, at that. So okay, that's a Jewish thing, not a Christian thing. When God in Leviticus twenty three said, "These are my my, uh, my appointed festivals," Absolutely you clear. know, um, so so we get this deliberateness. 
listen to this, that, uh, th- that the same guy said, the same church father. Okay, this is people we look up to Yeah, in and the most church. of the church fathers, unfortunately, we can find quotes like this. the same thing. There are many in our ranks who say they think like we do, yet some of these are going to watch the festivals and others will join the Jews in keeping their fast and observing their fast. I wish to drive this perverse, perverse custom from the church right now if I should fail to cure those who are sick with the Judaizing disease, I'm afraid that because of their ill-suited association and deep ignorance, some Christians may partake in the Jews' transgressions. I mean, the absolute opposite, opposite of the Word of God. Calling good evil and evil good wow. and light yeah, and darkness yeah, and yeah. darkness light. He's calling God's teachings Transgression. I mean, this is when, and he's using the word Christian, which is supposed to mean Christ follower or one who follows the Messiah, and we know to be that Jewish Messiah, Torah observant Messiah. So his words are so contradictory. I mean, it's absolutely false. If we're going to follow that our Messiah, we would be doing these things. And you listen to this word, the use of the word perverse you know, perverse customs and transgressions. I mean, it's so there, there's, that's intentional. Yeah. At that point, we've got some intentionality going Absolutely. on here. Okay. And this is why it's so hard to break this paradigm today. It, it yes. started that long ago. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so basically we've got a church father who's saying, and like you said, many of them said that, that partaking in the biblical festivals is a transgression. It is a sin. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which, We've heard over and over and mm-hmm. over again. It's legalism, Gary, if you because, did this. Because we're trying to earn our, our salvation. salvation. Yes, over and over and over we hear this. <laughs> tiresome, but but not so tiresome. We're going to keep going at we're it. We're going to keep, keep chipping we're away, keep right? This truth. <laughs> so the reason we need to know the history is so that we can recognize the inherent bias and animosity within the church toward anything Hebraic or Jewish. Naturally, this bias has been passed down through the centuries, and now we don't even recognize it, like we said. You know, we've called this, I'll think about it, look at it a different way. We kind of use this idea of biases, and I've used the word paradigm, okay, in the past. And and it's kind of like a a bias, the way, you know, Mm -hmm. the lens through which we we look at the world. And if our paradigm is that everything Jewish is bad and everything Christian is good, or even let's just say, being Christian is superior mm. to being Jewish, then this bias is going to affect how we read and understand the scriptures, both the old and the new. This bias will cause us to interpret Paul's words in a way that fits our preconceived bias. Exactly. That, that's how easy now, after all these years, it becomes when we read Paul, we're looking, we're looking through this lens. Exactly. Yes. So, in fact... Even Romans 11, which we've done teachings on, Mm -hmm. Paul himself told us that as believers in Yeshua, we should not, not think of ourselves as superior to the natural branches. And yet, that's exactly what's happened within the church over the centuries, literally. Literally. I I find it, you know, I call it Christian arrogance. Uh, We we are told to approach his people with with humility Humility, and and appreciation for the fact that because of them, uh, the oracles of God have been preserved. We have our word in our hands today because they they are who they God said they were. And uh, and we're told also by Paul, the same Paul, 
that that Yeshua was a servant to them, and that that's what I think our the expectations for those of us who follow our Messiah should do the same. Absolutely, and Paul, you know, and even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, didn't he over and over? pour out his heart for his Absolute, people for his over people. and yeah. over and yeah. over, you know, so, okay, let's, let's get to Paul. Okay. okay. <laughs> let's, let's try to get to Paul. Right. You know, the key to understanding Paul and basically the entire scripture, Hebrew <laughs> scriptures is not to take things out of context. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we've said this over and over. Amen. Um, you know, Paul himself reiterates over and over and over that he's a Jew, mm-hmm. okay? And he, and that he believes that Jesus, Yeshua, is the prophesied Jewish Messiah. Mm-hmm. Those things are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> exactly. And yet, Gary, I grew up as a Christian thinking they were mutually, that, yeah. that the definition of a Jewish person is they didn't believe in, in Jesus. The definition of Christian is they did believe well, uh, in absolutely. Jesus. <laughs> I, re- I remember ha- having a conversation one time when I was getting my hair cut and this, this girl overheard and she said something about, um, she goes, is that like juice for Jesus? And, and she goes, isn't that um, like an oxymoron? I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> but she was, that was pretty smart. On yeah, part. yeah, yeah. You know, you know the most important part uh, of the context of Paul is to understand who Paul was and what he believed. And it's critical to understand who Paul's audience was. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, Paul could never have imagined that his letters would be read by people living over 2,000 years after his death. Could you? I mean, I've no. never, I never thought any letter that I've written would last, no, you know? You, of course. And you think maybe a letter you wrote to your mom when you were at college or something, and you think that somebody 2,000 years would be reading it as doc, theological doctrine. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> it's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> you know, and much less would he have thought that his... Uh, that his words would be used to create, like you said, a doctrine that Mm -hmm. negates his very pro-Torah beliefs and words. Everything about his life. You know, he he would be engaged in the proverbial rolling over in his grave, you know, if he heard the church fathers and some modern Christians, their vehement rejection of Torah observance using his words. Horrified. He would be horrified. horrified. Yeah. Horrified. You know? I think he would go, we want to go back and rewrite everything he ever wrote. (laughs) I think he'd go, he'd say, Jesus, could you teach me how to do this? (laughs) And and you sure would say, brevity is preferred. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, You know, so Paul is basically, uh, he's, he's falsely accused uh, of the same kind of things today that he was falsely accused of back when he was alive, right? You know, the book of Acts talks about that. In chapter 21 and 22, we find Paul repeatedly uh, defending himself against what our Bibles call false Uh allegations, Uh okay? They're false. You got to remember that word. They're false. That he had abandoned the Torah and was teaching others to do the same. Yeah. Okay. False. Isn't that amazing though? Think about that. We're sitting in our churches understanding these were false accusations and yet still believing that he rejected the Torah. That he rejected the Torah. I mean, he said, you mentioned Acts 21 and 22. Here's Here's a quote from Paul out of Acts chapter 24. He says this, but this I confess to you that according to the way, which they call a sect, 
So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. <laughs> there it is. I mean, you know, just how do we reconcile that statement with these other ideas about Paul? Uh, I don't know. And yet I, I was there. <laughs> I you know, know, I was there at a time. Ignorance, and it yeah, was ignorance, yeah, yeah, right? It yeah. was just ignorance. You know, so Paul was, even at the time, Paul was already misunderstood, and mm. Peter saw that, right? Sure. Peter saw, that's why he said it, yeah. that people were already mis- or they were abusing the words of Paul, um, taking them out of context already. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now you add another 2,000 plus years to this, and you get over here into America. Yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, and, and here, here Peter was from the same culture. Of course, he was probably more a simple man. They, um, they knew Torah. And I, I hate when people say they were uneducated followers. They were not uneducated. They no, knew Torah. That's right. They just weren't professionals, so to speak, you know, in, in, re, in the word like a Pharisee would be. So, but they come from the same culture and he had a hard time understanding. So, yeah, I think we have a little bit of an excuse, but uh, in, in <laughs> essence, no excuse because we have the word here for us. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, um, in even in Philippians 3, 5, you know, Paul's like, I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of mm. the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, mm. concerning the law, a Pharisee. Amen. You know, we forget that Paul never denounced being a Pharisee. No. He never no. did. He was trained under, under Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Mm -hmm. Gamaliel. I don't ever say yeah. that okay. name. Um, but, and he never denounced that. Yeah. You know, he he did, I'm sure, recognize when other Pharisees obviously yes. were teaching their own man-made traditions. And, and that was a big problem. Yeah, but okay. as we can see, Rabbi Yeshua was very consistent with rabbis of his day. And yes, yes, there were going to be differences. But the biggest difference was the heart of the matter. Where were they? Why were they a Pharisee? Were they a Pharisee for position? Were they were they part of uh, the uh, puppets of Rome at the time? They were that that existed as well. Oh yeah, and that's what was being addressed. And of course, the man-made traditions that that had cropped up through it. But to be a Pharisee per se was not necessarily not a bad thing. That. We use right. it as a as a, almost like a, a derogatory term. But it wasn't. But they were and, learned. And, and he never denounced that position right. that he had or that right. education that he had. Exactly. He never did. Exactly. You know. So what I'm trying to say here, <laughs> we're trying to say, is you have to read Paul with these things in mind and keep him in context. Mm -hmm. He never stopped being Jewish. He never stopped being Torah observant. And if you're reading Reading Paul's words and thinking that Paul negates the Torah or worse, negates Yeshua's words, mm. you're reading something into the word that's not there. You're mistaken. Exactly. It's our in our understanding if that's what we think. Yes, not exactly. Not in the words of Paul. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and and Paul himself would do the, the Paulism, let's call it a Paulism, right? Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's look at Romans 3:28 through 31. Could you read that for us, sure. Gary? For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is, is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. 
Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, so that was clear. That yeah, Paul that was, was pretty, pretty clear. clear. Yeah, okay. you know, again, not at all. Heaven forbid. Right, you know, and he's clear. It. That he's, he's very clear that it's the faith and the grace of God, okay, mm-hmm. that justifies us. But that doesn't mean that the law then is done away with. It exactly. has nothing to do with that at all. No, because it, it, it's really always been about faith, grace and faith. Uh-huh. God approaching us and we are our response. That's right. That's and, but, but Right. So it was his grace and mm-hmm. then how we respond. Right. So... Okay, let's look at another one. This one is is often often used in the church. Okay, mm-hmm. to to negate Yeshua's words. Yes, okay, I've Matthew five seventeen. Many people say uh, and we're looking at here Colossians two fourteen that in uh, two fourteen um, it says that at Yeshua's they say that at Yeshua's death the law the Torah was nailed to the cross, thus canceling it. Okay. Right. And that may be true if the law was nailed to the cross. <laughs> but, but, but that's not what was nailed there. Why don't you read this one, Gary? Okay. And then we we were dead in your transgression. I'm sorry. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it, the certificate of that debt, out of the way and nailed it to the cross. So Gary, what was nailed to the tree was the certificate of debt that we owed. Okay. The bill that we had to pay. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's what was nailed. So we no longer owe which what what would have been our very, our very lives, lives, okay, exactly. for the sin, right? Mm-hmm. The decrees that were against us, that was not the Torah itself, but the death sentence that was decreed for disobedience exactly. to Torah. It was the penalty for disobedience. It was the, the penalty. Torah. Was the king decreed the death penalty? We're guilty. The penalty must be paid. Yet Yeshua paid the penalty price that we owe. Mm-hmm. Thus. The death sentence, the certificate of debt, doesn't still hang over our heads. That was nailed to the tree. That was canceled by Yeshua. Absolutely. And see, there's another reason why Yeshua had to be perfectly Torah observant. Because had he had sin, then he would not have been qualified to pay the debt for all of us. But because he was sinless... His death was illegal. It was, it was, you know, he, he was, he paid the price for all of us without sin. He paid the price for all of ours. That's right. Now, here's a question I'd, I'd like for everyone to really kind of step back and think about when Yeshua paid the penalty, paid the debt. Okay. That we owed. Mm. Did he wipe out the law when he did that? Oh, I know, you know, the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's think about it this way. I was trying to I was trying to think of a, a way to kind of illustrate this. When we get a speeding ticket and then we pay, okay? That's our certificate of debt. We owe this debt. We've canceled the debt, okay? We've paid it. Have we abolished the speed limit law? Again, absolutely. Absolutely not. not you know, <laughs> we go out there again, and we we mm-hmm. we go over the speed limit. It's, it's still there. Still there. It's still being enforced. 
so I'm hoping that was helpful to some of you in the audience who are trying to get this in your head. Sometimes it, it is a, you know, it's helpful to kind of think of it in terms of our 21st century. Practical terms. Very well. practical, but in the same, it worked in the same way. It does work in the same way because law is law. You know, we call it Torah. I mean, it, it is the Torah. Yes. And we've used this word law, but the same um, requirements, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a requirement and a, a result of breaking breaking that requirement. There's a penalty, There's a penalty to be paid for breaking the requirement. Right. That works the same way. Yes. Yes. You know, okay, so here's a little tricky one. <laughs> it's probably one that Peter was thinking about, okay? <laughs> the same kind of idea. Uh, Romans 7, 4 through 6. Okay, go ahead and read that one, Gary. Okay. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit of death, for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Okay. Now, you read that from your uh, paradigm that the Torah has been done away with, then that is a confirmation right yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone might grab that one. That one. Out. Say, exactly. There it is. There okay. It is. All right. But as we have learned, looking historically and learning in context, that was not who Paul was. That was not who, who, who Yeshua was. So now we got to, okay, let's look back at ourselves and let's ask some questions. The big question (laughs) is, what does it mean for a believer to die to the law? And then what does Paul mean when he says we've been released from the law? Does it mean that a believer has no obligation to keep Torah? Okay, if that's what you think, and that's what most Christians think. Okay, let's just take that to the logical next step. Can we now violate Torah? And it won't be counted as sin, because if this is what Paul meant, then it's cool if we commit adultery, if we steal, if we lie, if we murder. Those commands are all part of Torah, folks. Yes, they are. And if you take this to that conclusion, that's where you end up. That's there's the slippery no, slope that you end up There's on. no way not to. Those are right. all part of Torah, mm. okay? So if you think we've been released from the obligation, then have at it, folks, Okay. And a lot of the world has. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm sadly, yeah, they've, they've been having at it, right? That's right. No, that's a good, it's a very good analogy, Kathy, because, I mean, again, once going back to your, your first one, you know, you, this would, what he's saying, I mean, you're going to come before the court uh, and, and you, you're going to either have your debt paid somehow, pay the fine, or go to jail. Or, that's right. You know, so, or, that's right. And so you could be released on your own if you've paid the fine. That's so right. Somehow the penalty has, has to be been paid. paid. Yeah. You know, if we try to get all twisted up, okay, and we lose even the very definition of sin, mm. John, the Apostle John in 1 John 3, 4, he defines it. He says, everyone who sins breaks the Torah, breaks the law, right. violates Torah. In fact... Sin is lawlessness or Torahlessness. Yes. That's the very definition of sin. Mm-hmm. Now, 
No Christian believes that sin has been done away with. I would hope not. But we don't remember what the definition of sin is. Exactly. Right? I think that's Sin is violating Torah. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's very, very clear here. Okay? And, and, it's, and, it, and it's clear with Yeshua. It's clear with Paul that, that that's what sin is. So it's not like Christians don't think you can't sin. They just don't know, remember what sin, what the definition of yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and or they're, like you said earlier, they're just doing contortions trying right. to, to reconcile this, and you can't. So did Paul say that the Torah died or that we died to something related to Torah? Hmm. He clearly said, he said, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. So clearly it's we died to something. Torah didn't die, right? Okay, we died. So something else is going on here. Paul can't be saying that believers are not obligated to keeping the Torah. We have three witnesses that the Torah is still valid. Yeshua in Matthew 5, 17, John in 1 John 3 and 4, and even Paul himself in his insistence that he's been falsely accused of violating Torah, Mm -hmm. okay? Paul would be witnessing against Yeshua and John and even himself if we interpret this in the traditional Christian way, okay? That would have been insane. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he would have been insane. Beautiful case here. You know, the one, the only thing that makes sense is that Paul must be talking about some aspect of Torah that believers are dead to or no longer affected by. Mm. Voila. (laughs) This gets us back to the theme that he goes over and over and over in many of his letters, but especially in Romans. You know, we did a study, a Bible study on Romans. We just finished it in our Friday night Bible study group. And throughout the book of Romans, Paul repeats the lesson that believers are no longer under the condemnation of the law the death penalty that comes with sinning. That's it. Okay? And in fact, at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, he sums it up and he goes, therefore, there's no longer any condemnation waiting those who are in Yeshu- in union with Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua. Hallelujah, Gary. Amen. It's the condemnation, <laughs> like we were saying yeah. earlier. It's not that we can, aren't required to keep the law. Is that when we break it, we have someone who's paid the ticket That's for us. Exactly. Right? If we, if we could start thinking in those terms, I think Paul would become much more clear. It requires a paradigm shift. It does. And paradigm shifting is not easy. You know, we've, yeah. I'm sure all of you have done those things where you look at, is this a duck or a bird thing or an old woman (laughs) or like this old ugly woman or this young, beautiful woman. And you really have to make your brain think Mm -hmm. to switch it to the other one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause you, Mm -hmm. you tend to have a natural one you see. Okay. Like I always see the duck and I have to think about it in terms of seeing the rabbit. I think, I hope you guys know what I'm talking about. They're very standard. Okay. Paradigm shifting um, things. So, You know, salvation hasn't freed us from obedience to the law. Salvation has freed us from the death penalty that the law requires for disobedience to it. Sin, sin, the definition of sin, disobedience to Torah, you know. So So what about, he goes, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. If you remember, audience, the whole point of Torah is to learn how to serve God and our fellow man. 
right? Mm -hmm. We're not released from this service, okay, this obedience, just because Yeshua rose from the grave, okay, died and rose again. Now we have the benefit of the Holy Spirit, not to mention Christ's example, exactly. to enable us to better serve God and our fellow man. We have the advantage of the Spirit now teaching us how to keep the Torah. Yes. Okay? I think see this I think this was the whole reason for the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because if you dig down into the Good Samaritan, you see that the the the, the individual who went by, the priest who went by, he was trying keeping the Torah. Mm -hmm. He wanted to stay ritually clean to go to the temple. But he was missing, when we talk about the spirit, he was missing about, he's missing that weightier aspect of the Torah where your fellow man is in dire need here. Forget about your ritual cleansing yes. and help your fellow man. And that's what Yeshua was getting at yes. over and over. The adultery one, it's not just when you go lay and have sex with someone else, it's when you have it in your eyes. Right, that's what right, he was, right. that was that spirit Mm -hmm. behind the law. So it's not spirit versus the law. It's no. the spirit showing of you how law. to do it's it. It's the spirit <laughs> of the law. Of the okay? law, exactly. it's not this, yeah, yeah, I think it's not a versus it's thing. It's understanding the spirit of it. I like that because that's that's what he was pointing to the whole time. Not a set of regulations, just do's and don'ts so that you can do it robotically, but right. how to live your life as a right. child And I think that's what Paul was saying. He says, we've been released from the law so we can serve in a new way mm -hmm. is we don't serve in the way that that guy did yeah. who walked by this the, the Samaritan right. who needed his help. Yeah. We've been released from that. We've been we have a new and better understanding of what Torah means and we know we stop and help him. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um mm -hmm. yeah, isn't it interesting folks when you when you just go a little shift. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> paradigm shift and you realize this is about loving loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, uh, and strength means is or is exemplified by how we treat our fellow man. Yes. Yes. So Galatians 4 is sometimes used to prove that Paul doesn't think too highly of Torah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary, take a look at that one for okay. us, starting with verse 8. But then indeed... When you did not know God, you served those who by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain." Okay, so if you think that, for instance, that uh, the holy days, the Moedim, have been done away with, you would automatically say, oh, those are the months and seasons and years. Those are the weak elements mm -hmm. that he's talking about. Again, in thinking in Western eyes, and, or, or with thinking, reading with Western eyes and thinking with a Western mind and, and in that paradigm, these are wonderful scriptures to use to build your argument, but you're out of Context. You're out of context. Very simple. You know, even if you use an earlier verse in Romans, you're going to have the schizophrenic Paul if you keep that, exactly. that, that paradigm. Mm -hmm. He says, the law is uh, 712. Paul says, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now Paul is, the law is holy, just, and good. The law is weak and miserable. 
<laughs> Paul, okay, come on. That's what you have to believe Paul is saying, both of those things, if you keep that paradigm. If you believe the weak and beggarly elements that's means right. that, that that's the Torah. That's right. Yeah. So either Paul's referring to Torah as weak and miserable, and if he is, Paul's schizophrenic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, Paul wasn't talking here about the people who were keeping Torah, okay, as a love response to their Heavenly Father. But he was talking about there were a group of people telling believers that they must do this or they must do that in order to be saved, okay? The the big one being circumcision. And how many, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we we emphasize, Yeshua emphasized, Paul emphasized, it's nothing that we do. Nothing we can do. And once again, reminder, these were led addressing specific problems, problems within congregations. Yes, not doctrine. Exactly. Establ- you know, he was not establishing doctrine. Exactly. He was clarifying, literally, doctrine, you can call that, that was established, you know, in Torah. It's already there. He doesn't yes. have to create anything new. No, no, you know? there's nothing new. He was just, they were addressing conflicts that were going on within these these. You know, so these days and months, these seasons and years, Paul could not possibly have been talking about God's holy days. No way. Or the Sabbath or anything like that. Paul kept the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, it always, you know, when he went different places, he went in just like Yeshua did. He taught on the Sabbath over and over. He kept the feast. In 1 Corinthians, he's telling people, keep the feast, not with the old leaven, okay, but with the new leaven, but keep the feast. Okay, Mm -hmm. so is he a liar? (laughs) <laughs> is he schizophrenic? He has to be all of these things for us to believe that the Torah is obsolete. Exactly. So if he's, all right, let's say he's, he's not schizophrenic. We all agree on that. Okay. So he's either completely rejecting the Torah or he's a follower of the Torah. And since Yeshua and all those who came before him and everything else he writes about keeping the Torah is, is present, I think we would lean on the fact that he keeps the Torah. Yes. And so the one, all these passages that have been misunderstood about him breaking or, or saying he's rejecting the Torah have to have been misunderstood. Right. Just as Peter said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes, Paul is always upholding God's laws. And, uh, you know, he's pointing out, dare I say, the weak and beggarly customs or traditions of man, just like Yeshua did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not God's. Torah, okay, um, is exactly what Yeshua did, okay? So, you know, I want to say to the audience, do you understand how critical your paradigm is? You know, lots of times we're not even aware of our paradigm. Mm, That's true. But it's just just our our normal life, and we think, okay, everybody thinks this way. And um, I don't know, lately... I've learned a lot. There's not. There's a lot of people don't think the same way. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> Maybe some well, that I used to think. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and then not just in that, but in all sorts of things. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> you know, but if you read the the words of Paul from an anti-Torah paradigm, you've done exactly what Peter warned about. You've distorted Paul's words. Mm-hmm. The bottom line is that Paul's words fit perfectly with Yeshua's words that we started with in Matthew five. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The message of the New Testament must match that of the Hebrew scriptures, or we're all in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. If, if it's inconsistent, then then we've got a, a we're we're building our life on a lie. That's right. If God can change 
with the flip of a page in your Bible, okay, mm. that page in between the old and the yeah, new, yeah. oh, an awful page there, <laughs> not be there. We are on shaky grounds, yeah. okay, as believers in Yeshua. If he's changed his mind once, what's stopping him from changing it again? You know, it's not him. No, exactly. It's us within mm-hmm. the church who've changed our minds. The earlier believers of Yeshua knew the critical role of the Torah obedience in their lives. Paul knew. John knew. Peter knew. If if it is it is we who have strayed, mm-hmm. we who have gone off the path and are headed in the wrong direction. And I, I have to say this again, Gary. We, we bring up this verse over and over. But listen again to Messiah's words that are clear, okay? And, and ask him to show you where you've gone astray. I'm going to say, don't wait for your pastor. Mm. Don't wait for your family or friends to get this right. Because the words of Yeshua in Matthew 7 are terrifying, Maybe the most terrifying. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, we have said over and over, for us, those are, those are terrifying words that sobering. Let's, uh, let's use the word sobering words, okay? Yeah, let's it, use that. It should wake us up. Yeah, um, it, sh- it should uh, to really look and see what this means, that there is a group of people who firmly, firmly believe that they are following God. Okay, these are not pagans that he's talking to. That's right. Okay, these are people who's, who cry out, Lord, Lord. Okay, they, they recognize and done this. these things and in your name. In your name. Yeah. Okay, but there are things that are the weak and beggarly things. Okay, mm-hmm. the miserable things that Paul said, no, it's not those things. Right. It's God's things. Okay, what is holy and good and right, which is Torah. And that's it's good to understand that when we, we if we're going to be consistent, lawlessness is Torah lessness. Just harder to say. Yes, but <laughs> just being consistent with every time we we want to say the law, the law, the law is bad, bad. You know, law, law bad, grace good. If we want to be consistent with that word law, it is Torah lessness. Torah lessness. Yeah. Right. Say that five times first. <laughs> All right. I want to thank everyone for joining us today and look for the next podcast where we'll be talking about what Yeshua meant when he said he came to fulfill the Torah. And until next time, remember what the psalmist said, those who love your Torah have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Shalom. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.